Corinthians chapter 14. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you've been around, you know we've been working through the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, and we've called the series Church Issues because Paul, the writer of the book, which was a letter at that time written to a, a, you know, a church much similar to ours, which is made up of people, uh, Paul is writing... Um, this letter to this church, and man, he's covering lots and lots of issues. And, uh, and in a lot of ways, he's going, you'll hear him say, and now on this, and uh, about this, because they had asked several questions, and then also Paul had just heard that there were lots of issues, and so he is addressing them as he sees the need. And so that is what the book of 1 Corinthians has been, and we have uh, committed to, to working through it and not skipping any um, parts of it, and, um, and so today we come to a, another controversial and, and potentially challenging part. We've talked about tongues, we've talked about healing, we've talked about all sorts of things, singing, uh, things that have been divisive across the, the history of church, and today Paul is going to talk about the role of women. Actually, he's going to make some comments that, that uh, are specific to this context, but are going to raise some other questions for us about the role of women. So we're going to look at this, this uh, verse together, or these couple verses together. We're going to try to make sense out of uh, what Paul is saying here for this context. And in that, I hope that you find a couple Bible study principles that are helpful for you as you encounter hard text, and we'll talk about that. But then uh, we're going to try to uh, just briefly look at, okay, some of the, the issues or the broader principles and guidance that God that does give about women's roles in the church that this section can kind of raise but not fully resolve. So let's look together at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to read verses 33 uh, down through 38. And God's word says this, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Remember, he's been talking about spiritual gifts and the use of them in order in the church. He goes on to say, As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones that it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or is or spiritual, then he should acknowledge that the things that I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, then he is not recognized. Let's, just, let's ask once, once again for God's help. God, would you help us with this text? Would you help us with this passage? We submit to your word as your word, and you are our authority, so your word is what we surrender to. We pray you would help us to understand it today. Would you use me to that end, and would you give us as your people the ears to hear and the hearts to receive from you today? It's in your name, once again, that we pray, Jesus. All right. So as we talked about last week, when it comes to order in worship, when it comes to uh, okay, you know what's okay, what's not okay? How do we do this? We we sort of we, we compared it to having household rules, right? That then when you go into somebody's home, uh, that they're going to have rules, right? One of the easiest examples is okay, shoes or no shoes, right? Do I take them off here, or or are you okay? And and then there's there's several other things about that house that you're going to observe and generally respect that person's, you know rules for their home, and you don't come into their home and start telling them what you think they should do or not do. Rather, while you're in her home, you surrender there. And so uh, as we come into God's house, as we come into the church, his family, 
He gets to set the rules. He gets to say what is right, what is wrong, how we should operate. And so it's important to just say that from the outset, that this is um, God's house. He sets the rules. And, and if he gives us rules, they're never arbitrary. They're never for the sake of just giving something. God doesn't get a kick out of just giving us rules to watch us obey just so he can feel really powerful and, oh, look at what I made him do. No, no, no. God's heart is the heart of a father. Amen? His heart is the heart of a father. And, and, and his heart, lest we forget, we just observed it. We just ate and drank of the most ultimate display of our father's heart. Amen? So we must start there and, and stay there as we approach any text in the Bible, but particularly ones that can be harder to sort of um, swallow, if you will, or to make sense of. And so uh, this is God's um, house, and this is his word. Okay, it says in, in 2 Timothy 3 that all of this word is helpful and useful, to, you know, helpful for us and, and useful for the teaching and, and the, the rebuke. And that's why we don't skip any parts as we preach through this. We want to surrender to it. Okay? All right, so it's important to remember all of that. And so then when we come to a text like this that seems to be difficult and at first glance could seem as though we may have been out of step with it, even as uh, we had women on our stage today singing and, and praying out loud, were we wrong with this text? And, and some of you sort of can already be a asking those questions. What does this mean? Can I not speak at all? Do I need to sort of, if, if you're a woman, like does this mean where there's got to be complete silence whenever you come into the church? What is going on here? And so as we come to this text, I want to encourage you that when you come to any text that is difficult to understand and that you're not sure, that a principle of Bible study is never to go, ooh, I don't understand that. Ooh, I don't like that. That seems outdated. Let me just put that away. Let me just skip that. Or even worse, some people say, you know what? This book must be outdated. I'm just going to set it aside. Right? That's an error and a deeply... Uh, flawed way to look at God's word. Instead, what we want to do, this is just a rule of, of hermeneutics, which, which is just studying the, the scripture, right? How do we understand what God is being, uh, what God is communicating here? And, and one of the first rules is that scripture interprets scripture. Okay, you say that with me? Scripture interprets scripture. Okay, and what does that mean? Well, when we have a scripture that we don't understand, we don't go to outside sources, we don't go to our mind, we don't go to our culture, to try to understand what does God mean here or what's right here. Instead, what we want to do is we want to go to Scripture. Okay, We want to go to other places. We want to look at the rest of the Bible. What else has God said on this subject? Where else can we see that God has spoken about this? And, 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 and always in the submission of, okay, if I don't like this or I disagree with this, guess who must be wrong? Me, not God, right? So we just want to start by not presuming that we're the ones that knows better and we've got to find a way to set God straight. That's a bad place to be. Just a heads up, warning, don't go there. Instead, you want to start by, okay, if I don't like this, I don't understand this, I don't agree with this, it must be me that needs to change. Because why? Well, this is God's word, right? It's infallible, it's without error, and we su submit to it. And so, okay, so what do we do with it? All right, what do we do with a passage like this? Well, First thing we want to do is, all right, what, what else does God's word say? But, but maybe even before you do that is we want to look at the context. What do I mean by context? Well, where does this verse find itself? What was being talked about when this was said? 
And that's important, right? Because some people just read a verse, take, you know, you could take any number of verses out of the Bible and, and say, did you know God said this? And totally misconstrue what is being said. You know this to, in your own life. Somebody could take what you said out of context. Somebody could take, I mean, we know right now in an election year, there's all sorts of things taken out of context and used to promote an agenda, right? And okay, did you know this? And did you know that? And so we know generally that that happens. And so we don't want to do that with the scripture. We want to look at what was going on here when this was said and what was going on in in this moment was there's there's a particular issue that Paul is addressing here, specifically order in worship, but more specifically going around the issue of spiritual gifts and the use of prophecy and tongues, meaning there's a participatory nature of, of the church. It's not just about what is what is what do I do and what do you receive, but rather God works in and through all of us through the spiritual gifts. And how do we structure that? How do we order that? So Paul has been talking about that. And, and that is the very specific context that we find this passage here about how women should remain silent and, and seek to learn at home, okay? So, so there's that. But more specifically, let's just, let's just try to answer the question, does Paul mean that women cannot speak in the church at all? It seems to be what he's saying here, but is that what he means? Well, here, here, let me just say no, it's not what he means. And, and how do I know that? Well, partly because just a few chapters prior, and this is the benefit of preaching through a book of the Bible and studying through it together, is we all have this context. And so just a few chapters prior in chapter 11, if you flip back over, uh, Paul is talking about uh, how women can and should pray and prophesy in church. Okay, so he's explicitly said that they should do that. Now, he's giving uh, direction on how they should do that, that they should not do that in such a way that uh, sort of usurps and questions and brings chaos to the order in which God has put the church, right? And so he's talking about head coverings, and, and we address this. You can look up the sermon, and, and we're not going to re-preach the, the whole deal on head coverings, but the big idea is that for a woman to sort of throw that head covering off, they're saying, she's saying, okay, I don't belong you know, to any particular man. I, I, I don't need that oppressive whatever. And, and here, let me, you know, display my gifts. Let me have authority here. Paul's saying, no, no, as you're operating in those gifts in the church, as you're operating as a, as a member of the church, you want to keep that head covering on. It's sort of like keeping your wedding ring on. So you say, no, no, I'm still under the authority of, of my household. I'm still married to my husband and, and, and I'm operating out of that humility and that submission. And so Paul is talking about how but he very explicitly says in verse 5 of chapter 11, every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovers dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. And so again, there's all sorts of dynamics and, and nuances there, and we talked about that when we preached through this. Um, but the point is, as you read that, and, and really as you look through uh, different parts of this text and, and others, there, it is clear that Paul uh, not only allows, but encourages the use of women's voices in the church. Okay, so, so we can go, okay, well, Paul has already said this, and so if he says this, this can't mean total silence. So what does it say? Well, there's, there's listen, there's not um, unity on commentaries on this passage. There's, there's no shortage of opinions. Some would say this, that, that verses 34, or, uh, you know, this portion of 33, 34, um, and 35 um, weren't meant to be a part of the original text, that it was added in later. Um, and, and that's one view that, that I personally don't see evidence for, but some would say that, that Paul didn't actually write this, it was sort of added in later to support some cultural 
you know, uh, issues and, and whatever. I, I, don't, I don't buy that, but, but that, is, that is one view, and just know, just know that, that they're, that's where people have gone to sort of try to explain these things away. We don't want to take the easy way out, though. Let's, let's keep looking what, what, if, what does God say here? What, what does he say elsewhere? And it's not just lest you think, okay, maybe that was a misunderstanding in chapter 11. We see other places in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit first comes in power the way that he does for the New Testament church, it says, and in those last days, and they're and this is Peter preaching about what's going on in the moment when the, when the Spirit fell in the churches, or in the church. Um, but he's also quoting from an Old Testament prophet, Joel, and he says this. He's explaining what's happening. He says, in the last days, meaning when, when, when God's, you know, Jesus does what he needs to do to accomplish propitiation and salvation, then he's going to send the Spirit, and God declares, I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. We see that was said, okay, this is what is going to happen. In Acts 21, we see it actually happening. On the next day, it says, uh, 21, 8, and 9, they departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of seven, and stayed with him, and he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Elsewhere in the book of Acts, we see Priscilla and Aquila. That's a husband and a wife operating in a ministry position where they, uh, they sort of pull this other guy aside and, and kind of correct some of his theology. So there is indeed women ministering in those ways, and there is indeed um, you know, them doing that in the context of the local church. So we can, we can, okay, we can kind of rule that out. Paul's not saying that women have to be totally silent because he has encouraged them to pray and prophesy in the gathering. So what, what does he mean then? What, what is going on there? Well, here's, here's what we uh, need to, to I, th I think, we need to go back toward the context of what he's talking about in this moment of spiritual gifts and the practice of prophecy and tongues and order in worship. Okay, because then what we're going to see is he's actually just affirming this idea of complementarianism, which is what we believe about the roles of men and women. Okay, so just, just a quick, just cards on the table, what the journey believes about the roles of, of women and men in the church and in the home and just in general about gender is that, that, that God indeed made man and woman both equal but distinct and different. Okay, so they're not interchangeable. You don't get to go in and out of genders. You don't get to claim this or that. But, but, it's not, but also, one is not better than the other. One is not to be an authority over the other in an abusive manner. Co-image bearers of God, equal and yet distinct. Okay? And, and by distinction, I mean okay, they have equal you know, worth and value before God and other people, but they don't have the same roles to fill when it comes to God's world, when it comes to the way that God orders things in his home or in the, in the Christian home and in the church, right? That God has a specific order in which he has made man and woman to operate in. What do I mean by that? Well, that, that man are called to be the head of the household, meaning in the home, the, the, the man is the one that God holds responsible for the direction and the accountability of the home. Okay, that does not mean that he should be chauvinistic and, and patriarchal and, and overbearing and dismissive of his wife. Okay, if you read Ephesians 5, in particular, the, the call of men to love Christ as Christ, or to love their wives as Christ loved the church, it is, a, it is a serving leadership, it is a giving leadership, it is a self sacrificing leadership because the way that Christ loved the church is that he gave himself up for her. 
right? And so this, is never, uh, this should never be used to promote abuse or neglect or just dismissive of women's value ever. What it, what it means, most simply, I heard John Piper say this, I think it's helpful if you're talking to your, your young men or, or women about what does it mean to be a godly man or woman, I think one simple way to look at it is if, is if you, when you're married, right? If you're talking to your kid, hey, you grow up and get married. Um, you know, when Jesus shows up to your house to talk about how things are going, and he knocks on the door, and, and if your wife answers, he, he's going he's gonna to say, hey, is, is the man of the house here? Why? Because she doesn't matter? No, because he wants to hold him accountable. He wants to talk to him about how things are going. He wants to talk to him about the direction of the home. We see this in Genesis 3. I don't have time to unpack the fullness of that story and the fall of man, but even though Eve is the one that eats the fruit initially and gives it to her husband, when, when God comes calling on them, he speaks to Adam. He holds Adam accountable. And so men are called to be the head of the home in such a way, not in this power, I get to say whatever, no, but in a self-sacrificing, in a protective and providing manner where we say, I'm responsible. I will give of myself. I will make sure that these people in my care are safe. They are secure. They are worshiping God. They are not sinning in intentionality, but rather we are posturing ourselves in such a way that, hey, this is honoring to the Lord, that the man takes that responsibility. It's not about gifting. It's not about competence, right? It's, it's not a, but simply that man and woman equal and yet distinct. Okay, so we talked about that at length in a previous series called Gender Revealed. You can find that on our website and resources and sermons. You can, you can look at some of that. There are a couple of resources attached to your digital bulletin. If you have our app, you go to the digital bulletin portion. I included a few resources, a couple of articles, and then one uh, short book that is free to download, 50 Crucial Questions About the Difference that John Piper and I think Wayne Grudem wrote. And it's really helpful. It runs through just a bunch of questions. It's pretty short. You can use it sort of as a reference. So I would encourage you to dive deeper into that. But, but that's, that's what we believe about gender roles is that, that God has indeed made us equal, but with distinct roles. And so the man is the head of the home and also... Man is the head of the church in the same sort of responsibility. So, so here's, here's what we believe. Uh, you know, and we'll kind of circle back around, okay, what does Paul mean here by, by going here first? Okay, so here, here's what we believe about the way God has ordered his church. It's similar because it's God's household, right? The church is God's household. So in a similar way that God has ordered his households to operate where the man is, is responsible, but everybody has you know, equal value and responsibilities that are dispersed out in different responsibilities, but ultimately the man is accountable for that home. Well, likewise, the church, we believe uh, that men should be the ones who are elders and are accountable for the church. So if you're asking the question, well, what can a woman do here at the journey? What can a woman do in the church and be you know, biblical? Well, the, the, the short answer is, she can kind of do anything except be an elder, okay? So except be an elder. Well, what is an elder? Well, elder is the, is the, the office of the church that is, that is designated to be the ones who, who uh, teach and have authority, sort of govern and, and guide the direction of the church, okay? And, and that's the distinction. If you read the qualifications of, of an elder and a deacon in 1 Timothy and in Titus, you, you see that they're almost identical with the exception that the office of elder, those people are called to be husbands of one wife that are able to teach, right? And able to run their own household. Why? Because that's, that's a role that God has given to man. So um, when it comes to spiritual gifts, we've looked at a ton of them, right? We've looked at prophecy, the healing, teaching, administration, um, giving, um, 
you know, discernment, um, speaking in tongues, all those things. We believe that God gives the spiritual gifts equally and liberally to all of his church. Okay? That, that he gives them to men and women alike. That, that women are gifted with the spiritual gift of teaching, of administration, of leadership. All of those gifts are given both to men and to women in the church. Okay? We believe that. that, that that's how God operates. He's not, there's not one particular gift that's set aside for this particular gender. Okay? But when it comes to the offices of the church, there is one in particular, that of elder, that is reserved for the male. Male headship. Okay, and again, I don't have time to totally unpack all of that today. I would encourage you to look at some past resources, the ones I've attached there, or frankly, you can just you know, find me after church. We'll set up a time to kind of dive deeper. I don't want anybody to leave with a bunch of questions unanswered. Uh, rather, we want you to continue dialogue and, and you know, continue to understand what the scriptures say. But, but that, that's, that's what we believe. So spiritual gifts distributed to all, both men and women equally. There's not a distinction here. But what we believe is that the role of a pastor, uh, being a pastor is not a spiritual gift. Okay, Being a pastor is not a spiritual gift. It is a calling and an office that requires some spiritual gifts, right? It requires a certain particular spiritual gifts, first of all, to be able to teach, right? That, that one's explicitly stated. I think there's some implicit ones to be able to administrate to some degree, right? To be able to lead to some degree, Okay? But it's not this spiritual gift that is given in the same way that others are. Rather, it is the spiritual position and office of, of leadership in the church that, that God sets aside and that men are the ones who are called to be responsible for the church. Okay? So that's the distinction. Okay? That's the distinction. But it's helpful to remember what we talked about in the last couple of weeks, that this should never be like church, we've made it too much of a consumer posture, meaning too much of church is about, okay, you all coming in and sitting down and hearing what I've prepared for you today and what the band's prepared for you today, right? And you're here to receive what we have done. That's clericalism. It's not really help. Like, and, and, and I understand like how we get there, and it's not all wrong to have some of that set up, but at the same time, we don't want to overemphasize what those on staff are doing at the cost of what God has called you all to do and us to do. That's the whole idea of spiritual gifts is that God gives gifts all throughout his church to work together for the building up of his church. Okay, and that's helpful in this discussion because sometimes in this discussion we run, ex we run straight to what does God say women can't do? We run straight to that. What, what, what I, well, I can't do this? I can't, why, oh, I can't be a pastor? And then we start that discussion there. I think it's helpful to remember what you can do. Right? I think it's helpful to remember what women are called to do and what encouraged to do because it's, it's literally everything else. Right? That we are not supposed to be the ones that do all of the ministry. We as pastors. God calls us, Ephesians 4, like to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So our job in ministry, vocational ministry, we're all in ministry. Okay, We're all in ministry. God calls some to labor there specifically as a vocation, right? And their job is to equip the rest of the church for the work of the ministry. Okay, so what can women do? Well, literally everything else except be a elder. You know, elder, pastor, sometimes those are used interchangeable. Different churches have different definitions, but specifically that office of overseer, the one who has the authority to teach authoritatively and guide the direction of the church. Okay, so women can do 
every, like women can, can teach, absolutely, right? Different venues have different opportunities, like on Sunday morning, not, not generally. May, there may be some exceptions to that, if, if the right, but there's a lot of you know, nuances and context, but generally, no, this is an authoritative time that, that guides the direction of the church. And so I would say, no, there's an article in there that sort of weaves in and out of, of, of that complex issue. Okay, women can teach. It says, I don't, I don't allow women to have the authority over man. What does that mean? When can they teach? When can they not? God gives them this gift of teaching. Is that only for women? And what does that look like? Well, I, I want to say it is certainly for women, right? Titus talks about that how older women should teach younger women, right? You should be responsible for investing in those down line and other women investing in younger women. Absolutely, that should be true. But here's the deal. The, the majority of ministry shouldn't happen by me. That's a bottleneck and an ineffective bottleneck, right, in ministry. The majority of ministry should be happening by the church. And that means everybody else is in submission to the elders. Not just the women, but everybody is in submission to the elders of the church. And the elders should rule in such a way that reflects the way that Christ loved his church, right? And we're, we're under submission to him. We're going to give an account for that. So this is not this position of power where we get to hold it over you. The Bible warns against that. Don't, don't lead in such a way where we're lording our power over, but rather by serving the church, right? It is a, is a burden and responsibility to stay in that role. And then the rest of the church, men and women, are in submission to those elders. And so the rest of ministry happens by men and women receiving God's good gifts and doing that work of the church. And so it's important to remember that and to apply that whenever we have this conversation. So what is Paul saying here then? Okay, If he's, say, if he's not saying that women have to be silent at all times, and he's saying women can have a role in church. What is he saying here? Because it, it's, it's still confusing. Okay, so let, let's try to end by, 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 by getting some handles on that specifically. So if we go back and read it, it, it again, he's talking about orderly worship. In the verses previous, uh, we see in 26 through uh, 32 that he's talking about the order and, and everybody's coming in with this, you know, with the passion. Somebody, everybody wants to sing, read a passage, give a testimony, prophecy in tongues. And Paul says, okay, no, no, uh, we need to have some order to this. Let it all be done for the building up of the church in verse 26. And he says, if somebody's speaking in tongues, there needs to be only two or at most three, and there should be interpretation. Um, and in verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Excuse me, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. So there's, there's other commands to be silent in this passage, not just for women. It's talking about order in the church. It's talking about for the building up of the church so it doesn't run off into chaos. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. Spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So what he's saying there is there needs to be an ability within us all to recognize what's good for the church, and sometimes that is for us to be quiet, for us to wait our turn, or for us to be in a position of silence, frankly, quietness. And so uh, as he goes on then, he's talking about that, that whole, you know, somebody giving a prophecy, and we got to remember the nature of prophecy because some people direct relate that directly with what I'm doing now. And I think there's some overlap here, but it's not exclusively that. Uh, to, to teach the authoritative word of God, this is what God's word says, that is, that is a role that when it happens with the gathered church should be done by somebody in the position of eldership, right? But when it comes to prophecy, that is this um, divine, you know, this is this delivery of a divine revelation that God may give you this, this word, this vision for the sake of the church. And you just simply receive it and then you tell it to the church. Well, that doesn't come with the same authority of the Old Testament prophets. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And so what, what, what do we do then? Well, it needs to be subject 
to the others in the church. If God gives somebody this word, well, then the rest of the church is going to um, weigh, in verse 29, what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. And so that's what Paul is talking about. That's the direct context here of people giving prophecy, both men and women giving prophecy, and then others in the church weighing what is said. Okay, is this, does this fall in line with the scripture? Or is this different? And so what I would say is, basically what he's talking about here is this discernment of, was that a word from God or was that out of line? Do we need to accept that or do we need to reject that? That's what is being talked about in this moment. And I think when you go back to that, that is, as we said here, would be the role of the elders. That even before somebody would get a microphone here, we would say, give that prophecy to one of the elders. And we would then try to discern, is this from God or not, before we put it before the church. So basically what we come back to is Paul is talking about a particular elder-like function of the church to decide is this the word of God or is this not? Does this fit? Which they don't do that subjectively. Do we like it? Do we not? We run it through the scriptures. If somebody gives a prophecy, you don't just receive it because they said, thus saith the Lord. You run it through the scriptures. If it aligns here, then you may indeed receive it and go from there. And so that, that's back to the role of an elder. So I think with that in mind, that's what Paul is talking about here. Now, there's still plenty of discussion about the, the specifics of this situation. Some believe that, that when they were gathered in these churches, that that the men and women were separate, like in different physical buildings. And so there might be some, and, and not all women were educated to have the same language. Uh, they, they might know a local dialect, but they might not know the sort of national language here. So there's some very specific logistics that might be going on here. And they might be in a different room and leaning in to ask these questions. Or they also, you know, might uh, know their local dialect, but not the, the dialect that's being spoken or the language that's being spoken in that moment. So there might be a, a temptation to actually lean over while somebody is speaking and say, hey, what, what does he mean? What is he talking about? Explain it to me. Well, Paul's saying that's disruptive. Don't do that in this moment, right? That, that, that's going to that's gonna disrupt the church. So, and, okay, so there's that possibility in which he says, hey, if they have questions, like ask your husband later at home, right? Because he's and, that, and that, Paul's not affirming that this is the way it should be. If you read the trajectory of the Bible and the New Testament in particular, Jesus and his followers, his apostles, set a countercultural course for women that had not yet been set in, in those times. Okay, So Paul's not affirming that this is how it should be. The women shouldn't know these, shouldn't be educated to the same degree. It's just the situation he has in the moment to deal with, and he's trying to pastor in those moments. And so he's saying if, if they're not understanding, if they got a language barrier, it in church is not the time to sort all that out. Wait till you get home, ask those questions, and learn that way. It also could be that it was, as we saw from chapter 11, it's disrespectful for a woman to sort of spurn the authority of her husband to, to sort of say that, you know, that doesn't matter. And so for a woman to speak to another man that is not her husband in public is, is not allowed in these days. It would be shameful. And so if somebody gets up to give a prophecy and then as a part of the, the discussion about whether it's good or right to be accepted or rejected, if women start questioning that man and that's not their husband, that would be considered shameful in that day. Okay, so they're saying, okay, don't. And then also some people might just be airing their own marital laundry in those moments, right? Like man might get up to give his uh, you know, word from the Lord and the woman just starts laying into him. Well, why would you say that? You don't have any place. You know, you haven't done this at home. You could imagine the, the scenarios that might play out. And so Paul is saying, no, not that, that stuff doesn't happen in the house of God. Rather, there should be order. It should be for the building up of everyone. So in those circumstances, in those situations, women should remain 
The word is silent. It's closer translated quiet in and, and, and the same way that we're all called to live life like a quiet and submissive life. Like all people are called, I think it's in Peter, uh, to, to live in such a way we should all aspire to that. that. It's closer to that. It's not this remain silent at all times, but rather to have a quiet posture, a submissive posture, which we should all have in those moments. But Paul's saying there's some particulars going on in this church in this time where he's saying, hey, women, this is the best way to approach this at this time. So we, we kind of have a lot of dynamics there. First of all, the discerning of prophecy is good or bad is sort of an elder role. Okay, so he's saying, hey, women, we need to defer to the male leadership there. And there's a lot more to be said on that that I just don't have time to get to today. So if you have questions about that in general, find me, look up some further resources. I'm glad to talk at length. But there's that. And then there's also just the cultural dynamics. We don't know exactly what was going on in, in those moments where Paul is, is sort of addressing to those issues. So um, he refers to the law. He's talking about other places where it says, you know, the man is responsible, the man came first, and, and then the woman. But again, the nature of that is always to be this complementarian nature, not this less than, but rather the one who God has put responsible and holds accountable for the governing of God's household. So, so that's... I got, I got to wrap up. There's, there's plenty more to be said. But that is at least an introductory or brief explanation to that passage and sort of the role of women in church in general. Here's how I want us to, to end, though. As we approach passages like this that may be hard for some, may others, you, you, you're just indifferent, I want us to be reminded of the goodness of God. I don't want us to, to focus there. And here's what I want us to ask. And one of those articles is really helpful in, in sort of leading you there, but... But, but do you love God? Do you love God? More specifically, do you trust him? You trust God. Is he a good father? Jesus teaches this specifically. He says, listen, God's a good father. He says, you get it. You're a father. If your kid asks you for a loaf of bread, are you going to give him a rock? No. Why? Because you're a good dad. Right? He asks you for a fish, you're going to give him a serpent? No. You're a good dad. He says, if you then, who are sinful, evil actually, know how to care for your kids, how much better is God at caring for us? So we need to remember that. And if we love God and trust God, then we need to love the things that God loves. And if our desires, our preferences, maybe even what we believe strongly is out of joint with that, then, then we, need to, we need to lean into him. We need to ask our father questions. We need to go deeper into his word. We don't pull away. We don't go find some other church that will affirm what we believe. We want to we lean in. So let's be a people who, we do that across the board, right? In the season of politics, the season of division and ideologies about, ma- I mean, there's so many things that are divisive in our culture right now that are attached to different ideologies. And we never want to say, well, this is what, this is what I think that means because, well, no, we're, we're getting to a place where we're making, God in a, we're making a God in our own image, right? We're making the God that we want to exist, exist. We don't want to be that, right? We want to be people who let the word of God define who he is. And where it's hard, we don't run away. We lean in further. We let him lead us. So maybe we want to be that as a church. And listen, that applies to so many issues beyond just women's roles in church. So you're here today. We're going to do a time of ministry here in just a moment. And, and the altar call is not just for you to be saved or for even for you to just, you know, maybe get in line where you've been out of line around this issue. The altar call, the invitation is to come and receive prayer 
for whatever the Lord is doing because he speaks authoritatively. This is who I am. This is what I've called you to do. And where you're out of step with that, come and receive. So it could be healing for you. It could be repentance of a totally unrelated sin that we haven't talked about today. It could be uh, your relationship is just intention. We're gonna have some people come forward and, and be ready to pray for you, okay? And this is a prayer team. This is not just random people who feel like it. These are people that the elders have said, hey, we trust you and we believe that you're mature enough to, to minister to our people, so would you just play this role? So they're gonna come forward, they're gonna stand sort of up here in these corners and they're here to receive you. And so I, our hope is that you'll just bring your burdens, bring your stuff, bring your fears, your physical ailments, whatever it may be, bring them to the Lord. And we would love to pray for you in that. So that's how we're going to end our time. We've got a couple songs we're going to worship. But we all invite you to come. If you, if you just want to pray by yourself, the altar's open. You come straight to the altar and we won't bother you. But we want to invite you to be prayed for. And so we're going to have some folks come. As soon as I say amen, that, that prayer team is going to step forward and come. And you just come on with them. You come and receive prayer um, for whatever is on your heart today. All right? God, we ask that your spirit would come and, and be good where where we need you uh, to be good in specific ways and calling us to repentance and in and bringing the kingdom to bear in our own hearts personally and as a church corporately. So Father, for the needs that, that vary in this room from shame, guilt, addiction, to fear and sickness, diagnosis, burdens, just, Father, would you just make your, yourself known as the good father who's just standing with arms outstretched and give us the faith to come. We ask and hope these things in Jesus' name this morning.